Hey folks, this is Steve Bradley, God's Wordsmith, and I'm coming to you today. I want to talk about Jesus, the Sanhedrin, and Peter, and Peter's denial. This is a fairly long section for us, Matthew chapter 26, verses 57 through 75. Here's the text. Those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. So all the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. At last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. And he did, of course, with his resurrection. But the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You said it. Which is just exactly the same as the New King James Version. It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, you've heard his blasphemy. Of course, he was telling the truth, but that's of no moment. You have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He's deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who struck you? Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You were also with Jesus of Galilee. But Peter denied it before them all, saying, I I do not know what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, (laughs) I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you are also one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then Peter began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who said to him before the rooster crows, You will deny me three times. And added to this in Luke, once that third denial had happened, Luke says that Jesus just looked at him, looked over at him, uh, and confirmation of what Jesus had prophesied. So now, here is the kangaroo court. A kangaroo court is a court where the outcome is predetermined, and that's what we have here. 
Folks, there was never a moment when Jesus was going to be found innocent of the charges they laid against him. There was no moment when the penalty was going to be anything other than death. And although the Jewish leaders didn't know it, there was no instance in which Jesus would not be crucified. This was always part of the plan. That is, the Jews' plan to kill him. After Jesus raised, uh, raised Lazarus from the dead, the, Jew, the Jewish leaders had a meeting. And it's recorded for us in John 11. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs, miracles. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. I mean, he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. So it's kind of evident that this is a real thing. The Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now, Caiaphas didn't mean good things to happen from this death. He just wanted to get rid of Jesus. But what John says is this, now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. That's all the Gentiles who were about to be saved when Jesus was preached to them. Now the amazing thing about this is it's possible for a donkey to speak. It's possible for a wicked high priest to prophesy. It's not normal, but it's possible. What Caiaphas meant is let's kill him and secure our position. What God meant was Jesus is going to die for this nation and also for all the rest of the people on earth. And of course, this plan that the uh, Pharisees and other leaders hatched, Sadducees, this plan is what they put into motion in Matthew chapter 26, right after Jesus' arrest. Jesus must die, or he will convert everyone. The Romans will destroy us, and we can't have that. So John interprets the high priest's comment as a genuine prophecy made unintentionally. Human evil and the divine plan here meet as, meet as nowhere else. Peter said this to us all in Acts chapter 2. He said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you, by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, 
having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. It was God's plan for Jesus to die, as John pointed out, but it was the wickedness of evil men that made it happen. And God reversed that. He changed that. He altered it. Now, the manner of Jesus' death was also predetermined. And we find this laid out for us in several places in the prophecies. Jesus himself told how he must die. He said, now as the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw everyone, all peoples, all nations, tribes, and tongues to myself. This he said, John interprets for us, signifying by what death he would die. Then in John chapter 3, earlier, probably about three years earlier, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now the serpent, folks, was a reference to the fact that in Numbers 21, the Israelites had been rumbling against the Lord. They were in the desert, and the Lord sent a plague of snakes that bit and killed them. And so when they cried out to the Lord and to Moses, Moses made this bronze serpent, and he put it on a pole at the command of the Lord. And whoever looked at the serpent after being bitten lived. That's all he had to do is just look at the serpent. But he had to believe that that would heal him. That's the underlying thought. So <clears throat> Jesus and John tell us that Moses putting the serpent on a pole and lifting it up were symbolic of Jesus' death and its effects. And what Jesus is essentially saying is, you look at me and you believe in me, and I, when I am lifted up, I will save you. Now Psalm 2 actually prophesies by whose hand Jesus had to die. Here's Psalm 2, verses 1 through 5, which says, Why do the nations rage, that is, all the Gentiles, and the people, that is, the Jews, plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, that's everybody else but the Jews, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let's, their, let's break their bonds in pieces, and cast away their cords, the restraints from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Think of what is actually happening here, folks. Satan, the Jews, the Gentiles, they all thought we're ridding ourselves of this terrible annoyance. Jesus we're going to solve the Jesus problem once and for all by crucifying him. What happens next 
is that the Father speaks to them in his wrath and distresses them in his deep displeasure. Acts 2.23-28 actually records this again as the people pray over that psalm and remember and realize that what happened in recent days to them is what the psalm prophesied. Now, as the prophet writes, both the people, that is the Jews in Israel, and the Gentiles, the kings of the earth, decided on the crucifixion. Now, folks, this is why Jesus wasn't just killed by the guards of the Sanhedrin and buried in some nameless grave in the sand. He could not be forgotten because God made sure that he wouldn't be forgotten because the prophecies that went forward on him, those must all be fulfilled. There are some future prophecies that will be fulfilled in regard to Jesus, such as he comes with the clouds and every eye shall see him. And all those who killed him and all tribes of the earth shall wail because of him. That is, the unbelievers. So the second part of this psalm, which reflects what I just said, that is, the Lord's wrath is still in the future. Therefore, listen carefully, everything that the Jewish leaders, Herod and Pilate, did was a fulfillment of the prophecies of the scriptures. And folks, there's much more that I haven't time to discuss here. Uh, when we get to the books in the New Testament that talk about the prophecies, there are several of them, we will talk about it, but not here. So the next step in this horrible ordeal that Jesus was about to go through also involved Peter. Satan sifts Peter, and Peter denies Jesus. And the next few verses are recorded everywhere in all four Gospels. It says, Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You were with Jesus. He denied it. I don't know what you're saying. And when he had gone out through the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, you have to be one of these guys, one of these disciples of Jesus. Your speech betrays you, you're a Galilean. Then Peter began to curse and swear and saying, I do not know the man. Immediately, the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Now, folks, the most interesting part of this is not recorded in Matthew, and that is that the Apostle John was there too. He had actually gained access for Peter to that courtyard because he was known to the high priest. So John is there. Peter's there. Peter denies Jesus, and John's just sitting by. 
Uh, we find this in John chapter um, 19, I'm sorry, 18. And if you read it with some care, it, John identifies himself as the other disciple many times. And that's how this happens. So Peter's denial is recorded in all four Gospels for a number of reasons, I think. First is the simple fact. Peter denied Jesus. But there's a lot more here. Because Peter's denial was not final or unforgivable. And folks, if you are ever in that situation where you can deny Jesus and you do it, it's not final and it's not unforgivable. It was the great sin of Peter's life because he truly did love Jesus. Moment of weakness where the Lord just kind of let it happen. Didn't protect him. But the Lord forgave him and restored him. Now the same is true with us. The Lord forgives. The Lord restores. And sometimes with certain people, there's a sin that every single time you remember how bad you really are, that sin comes up before your eye, the eyes of your mind. And you think, oh man, I, I, I just wish I had never done that. I wish I had never done that or lived that way or done those things. I wish, I wish, but you did. And if you have an unforgettable sin or sins, confess them and ask the Lord for his forgiveness. Don't delay with this. Now, <clears throat> here's the third point. When Satan sifts us, God allows it so that we can see what we really are without him. And basically, we're not good. We're bad. We're nothing. Without him, we're truly nothing. Jesus said in John 15, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's for sure true. If God did not do this to certain ones of us, and he's done it to me, allowed me to just go my own way, and then I repented and returned. Otherwise, we come, become like the Pharisees because everyone wants to assert that he's really good despite his black heart and wicked deeds. We become like the Pharisees who had a legal righteousness and arrogantly thought that they were good enough for God as long as they obeyed all the laws. That's what they thought. They sought, as Paul tells us in Romans, they went about seeking their own righteousness and not submitting themselves to the righteousness of God. So all they wanted to do was show how cool they were. They thought they were good enough for God. And usually people like this think they're better than you. They're the preeminent folks. They're the best. Nothing can ever defeat them. But when God allows it to happen, he wakes you up and shows you who you are. Unfortunately, there are many people like this who go to church every Sunday. 
They don't understand that it's their badness that lives within their heart that makes them think that they're good. The evil that lives within their heart and they deny or excuse that makes them good. They become hypocrites. Folks, don't do that. Confess your sins. Ask for forgiveness. Seek the mercy of God. When you think you're better, you can be humbled. Now, not everyone is, because not everyone is a true believer. But if you are a true believer, you'll be chastened for that wickedness. Prepare to be humbled for your wicked, arrogant heart. That, folks, is what I think happened to Peter. I will never deny you. Ended up with bitter weeping and infinite sorrow. Such a terrible event, and yet it proved the gateway to Peter's later life, in which he became one of the great leaders of the early church. So Jesus actually told Peter, Peter what was about to happen and what the result would be. He said, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, this is in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Now listen, folks, don't let your faith fail. Seek God and let him restore it. When you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Peter was made an example so that Peter could help his brothers and sisters and strengthen them. And if that's happened to you, if you feel like you've been made an example of by the Lord, it is so that you can strengthen your brethren and know that Jesus has already prayed for you. Jesus has not stopped praying for you and me and every other believer since he entered heaven. The Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us in Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, folks, don't give up. Return to him. Now, you may not be able to retain your former pride and your arrogance of commitment, saying, I will never deny Jesus. Yes, you can. But you can return. Let Peter's experience be yours instead of Judas' experience, where you're really hiding who you are and you don't want anybody to know about you, but you're never going to change because you don't want to change. But you see, you can return to the Lord. And if you've never turned to the Lord, he will accept you. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. Take hold of that verse. God bless you all, and I hope you have a wonderful day. This is Steve Bradley, God's Wordsmith, signing off.